Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and welcome back to The Circus. I'm your host, Adam Brown, and today I'd like to talk about something that you might know as American Psycho, alright? Now this is a very, very uh, interesting subject for multiple reasons. Number one being, it's both a book and a movie. Now, whenever you see something, whenever you see a movie or a book that has an adaptation of the inverse, such as if you're reading a book that has a movie, or if you're watching a movie that has a book, um, there's always a sort of rivalry between the two. And people like to say that the book is better than the movie, which, you know, more often than not, totally true. Yeah, totally true. Um, look at Percy Jackson, for example. Or look at, oh, I don't know, look at Harry Potter. I'd argue the books are better. But anyways, that is not always true. This is not always true. This is not the case, for example, with American Psycho. Now, okay, just for basic context, of course, this is a movie um, starred with, I don't know, the main actor is Christian Bale. All right, and he's been in a handful of things. He's recently he was in a movie called like Pale Blue Eye. I saw on Netflix. It was all right, um, and he was in that Thor movie, which and you know how I fucking feel about that. But anyways, um, yes, Christian Bale is actually really, really good at what he does. He is very, very skilled at the craft. And um, fun fact, he's actually fucking British. I, I know, you may have known that, I did not, because the first Christian Bale work I ever saw was American Psycho, and in that movie, he puts on a very, very convincing American accent, I mean, I, it, it came to me as a complete, it came to me as a complete shock uh, that the man was British, but that doesn't really matter, um, yes, the book is not better than the movie in this case. And let me say why. See, the book and the movie follow each other pretty closely in terms of essence. In terms of plot structure, no, not at all. Because here's the thing. Um, books and movies and comic books and TV shows and whatever else, webcomics, whatever. Whatever way you are experiencing a form of fiction has different pros and cons than the other. For example... In my favorite comic book series ever, Watchmen, you can see um, you can see parallel plot lines and different forms of kind of Russian doll type storytelling very, very simply. One panel can be our main characters, the superheroes and Watchmen, and the next panel can be a comic book which somebody is reading. It's it's very, very simple and easy for a story like Watchmen, which is a comic book, to tell a different structure of narrative than, say, um, I don't know, Breaking Bad. Sure. It's, it's a lot harder to do that in a TV show. Now, in the book, American Psycho, the draw of it being a book is that it can jump from one little vignette of a chapter to the next, to the next, to the next, very simply and very easily. In that sense, the book is very, very detached and very cold, but also very, very long. Now, the thing about the book is that in terms of total 
length. You know, it's not set in any records. Stephen King easily beats it in terms of page numbers, but when there are entire chapters of the book where it is nothing but the main character, Patrick Bateman, monologuing for 10, 15 pages about the type of music he likes, it serves a purpose, yes, but it's not enthralling or <laughs> enthusiastic or interesting at all, uh, actually. And I would actually skip those pages um, because they were that boring. Now, what's crazy about the book is that there are entire chapters that are extremely boring, but there are also sequences in chapters that are, like, I can't even begin to describe how sexually violent it is. I mean, I, I think that Brett Easton Ellis, the man who wrote this, has something wrong with him. Now, of course, all, all the greatest artists have something wrong with them. This is a universal truth. But Brett Easton Ellis, mm, I'm a little suspicious of that guy, honestly. I mean, I, <laughs> I can't even... I, I don't recommend the book. I, Jesus Christ, some of the things in there, I had to put it down. And I honestly, you know, I'm one for the more gr grotesque and gruesome. But some of the shit in there, I mean, Jesus, wow. Like, you would not believe... Um, yes, the book is on one hand very boring and on the other hand like over the top. Oh my Jesus Christ, like gruesome. Um, it's not a bad book though. I mean, hey, <laughs> I, I left it satisfied. But the thing is that the movie is so much better because number one, it doesn't toil on his music interests nearly as much as the book does. And number two, yeah, I can't count. Number two, the movie is still violent and, like, sexually perverse without, you know, without making me want to vomit, basically. Um, I'm sure that's, that is subjective. It's different from other, for other people, of course, but, um, you know, just for me personally, it doesn't make me, like, want to vomit. Uh, and that's the draw of the movie. Now, as for the actual movie American Psycho, and... The story itself, which is genius, this is a great horror movie, alright? And the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing about American Psycho is that it is also an excellent comedy. Alright, okay, let me, let me just start with the story. American Psycho is basically a disjointed, like jigsaw puzzle of ev of the everyday life of a sort of Wall Street-esque stockbroker or whatever he does. It's not really clear. At least I don't remember. But basically, he is a glorified yes man. And he works in an office with a bunch of people like him. In fact, they're all pretty much identical. And the catch is our main character, who appears to be like everybody else, is actually a sadistic serial killer. Uh, right, you know, American Psycho. This story, in so many ways, is an excellent satire of the American workforce, and perhaps more specifically of Wall Street in general. Throughout the entire movie, you have the sense that Christian Bale's character, Patrick Bateman, that's his name, you get the sense that Patrick Bateman is... 
you know, he's ironically attracted to fitting in with everybody else to the point where he comes off as this huge douchebag, but he's also completely out of control of his, you know, murderous impulses. So on one hand, his character is, you know, monologuing. He does it in the movie too, to much less annoyance. He is monologuing about the type of music he quote-unquote likes. At the same time, he's getting ready to axe murder one of his colleagues for a job position. So you get a sense, you get a sense truly in both the book and the movie that there's this sense of ironic masculinity in how these men conduct themselves and how they how they cling to this sense of, you know, distinguishment, distinguishedness, how they tend to present themselves as fancy and men of class, you know, hardworking men, when really they're kind of just douchebags. That's, that's the point of it, is that, I mean, and this is more my take on it, you get a sense that, yes, Patrick Bateman is a quote-unquote psycho, meaning that in terms of popular American fiction, you know, he's the psycho, he's going around, axe-murdering people and hurting, you know, people and killing dogs on the street and killing homeless people because it's easier for him to get away with it, and that's what a psycho means, right? Well, not exactly. Um, I always got the feeling from this story that the implication is that you know, all the people working in the office are kind of like psychos because, you know, you know, a psycho really is just a person who can't really connect with other people, but they know how to hide it, basically. They're aware of the fact that they can't form, like, genuine human emotion or whatever. I, I'm no therapist or scientist, by the way. But, you know, a psycho is basically like, uh, I can't feel basic human emotion. I can't feel anything genuine but I, I know how to hide it. I know how to get forward in life. You know, psychopaths tend to end up in positions of power because um, they, 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 they can't empathize. Um, they go about life with this sense of detachment and this sense of no empathy that makes it so much easier for them to manipulate others and therefore gain positions of power. Uh, take a look at the fucking American government. But anyways, uh, you know, not getting political here. Hey, hey. Um, yeah, Patrick Bateman, of course, is called a psycho, or at least it's the implication is that he's a psycho by the title, you know. You follow the movie thinking, oh, you know, Patrick Bateman is the American psycho. He sums up American qualities of a quote-unquote hard worker and he's also a psycho because he kills people but I always thought that everybody in the story more or less is a psycho because everybody in the story conducts themselves with that same sense of cold detachment uh on the same side of things this is the type of movie and the type of book too but I prefer it in the movie this is the type of story that makes you wonder how much is actually happening. Alright, now this is actually probably one of the most important things about American Psycho as a story. Not as a book or as a movie, but as a story. I, I like to make the distinction. 
the general gist of American Psycho is that Patrick Bateman is perhaps not truly a murderer. It's entirely possible that none of the murders that actually happened in the movie actually happened. See, um, the per, perhaps the climax, I, I would call it the climax of the movie, provides a sort of interesting conflict with everything else we've seen in, in the movie up until that point. See, Patrick Bateman is at a, yet another work party where everybody else is chatting about the latest foods, the latest clothes or songs, or basically things that have no real substance. And he approaches this one this one guy, and he just... I Honestly, I forget how the conversation goes, but sooner or later, the subject turns to one of the supposed victims of Patrick Bateman, and uh, I guess Bateman keeps like pressing the fact that he killed... Oh, no, I remember, I remember. He was confessing, I believe. He was actually confessing because... You know, on some form or another, Bateman actually wants to get caught. That's an entirely different thing. But essentially, he's confessing the fact that he killed this one man to one of his colleagues, a partygoer. And in response, uh, the guy is essentially looking him in the face, dead eyes, and saying, that's not possible. Um... Now, this became a meme, so you may or may not know it. This is the part where Patrick Bateman says, Why is it not possible? I killed him. I killed him with my own two hands and an axe. How is that not possible? Um, and the guy just says, I ate lunch with him yesterday. So, you didn't kill him. And this is a pretty important part because this is the part when the audience realizes, Oh, shit. Maybe everything that we've seen up until this point never actually happened, or at least it didn't happen the way we saw it. This is the part of the movie where you realize, wait, what the fuck? Um, and you and you have to turn on your brain for that for that moment because American Psycho, like I said, is one of those stories that makes you think about what truly happened and and what you can actually trust. And believe me, those are some of the best kinds of stories because those are the ones that make you actually turn on your brain to understand the story. Now, any any good movie, of course, activates you know your brain, your empathy, your 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 feelings. But movies like American Psycho literally require you to like activate you know some sense of critical thinking to understand or at least interpret what the hell is actually going on. So, yeah, that's one of the biggest reasons why I like American Psycho, is because you're thinking to yourself, I'm being lied to actively by the cameraman and by the director. The only person right now I can trust is myself. In that sense, American Psycho is a truly great horror film because it actually makes you distrust the director and the, the actors. It actually makes you feel like you are the only person you can trust right now. Um, and that's truly unique, you know? That sense, of, uh, that sense of connection to the audience is something that every director should do, 
but not every director does in a in a very very unique way you know throw in a sad song to underscore one of the scenes throw in the dead laughter for a sitcom you can connect with the audience pretty damn easily um but it takes skill to do it in a very very subtle and non-verbal way like the director of american psycho who i have no fucking idea who it was for all i know it could be brett easton ellis the same guy who wrote the book he became a movie director but i don't know um you know again hats off to christian bale's performance he, he perfectly plays an, an obnoxious wall street asshole in the same way dicaprio would go on to do in wolf of wall street and with both of those roles you can really see the sense of toxic masculinity and how it is actually really funny <laughs> It's really funny to watch all these men, like, interact with each other with this sort of... It's almost like there's a deathly seriousness underscoring every single action they take when they interact with each other. It's almost like they're pretending on some subtle level, like, like animals, you know? Like, you know how animals kind of... Mm, they have a they have a turf and they have some sort of respect to cling to and if another male challenges that and suddenly it's a competition and it's sort of like a it's it's like a prowess type of thing that is perfectly what is captured by both Wolf of Wall Street and American Psycho now um you know you you can see that perfectly clear in, in scenes like like the business card scene in American Psycho, which is perhaps one of its most famous sequences because, you know, it's it's you know, it's a good it's a good comedy scene. Um, Patrick Bateman shows off his business card to a to a room full of his colleagues and says he says basically, look at this shit. It's really cool, right? He's trying to like, you know, intimidate these men with his like fancy business card and until until suddenly one of the other colleagues throws out his business card and says, well, look at this one. Yours is nothing compared to mine. It's, it's, it's almost like they're comparing dick sizes, you know? It's like they're comparing the length of their penises with these business cards. It perfectly encapsulates the fact that they are using their business, which is a, which is a sense of, like, a sense of prowess for them, a sense of holier than thou um, with how much money they make, and they are using it to intimidate one another, like... Like, mine is more fancy than yours. It's, it's perfectly juvenile, masculine, and hilarious in the same scene. I mean, this is why this scene is so famous. When, it, when, you, when you think of this movie, you think of this scene, all right? But anyways, he pulls out his card and he says, mine is better. And the craziest thing about it is that Patrick Bateman actually, you know, he's, he's phased by this. He actually is buying into it. It's, it's insane how he actually, his actor, Christian Bale, actually starts to sweat, you know, um, because he's actually buying into the competition. And then, you know, more, more men, you know, keep throwing out their cards like it's a one-up uh, type of thing. And it's, it's, it's very interesting Oh, and here's the here's the real kicker. Every single card looks the same, right? Like there's no there's no real or true difference between the cards, but they all act like there is. It's it's uh, Jesus, on so many levels that scene is hilarious. I mean, you you have to think about whether they actually believe that there's a difference between their cards or if they're just acting like there is because they want to seem like they understand 
you know, different styles of taste. Like if they, you have to wonder if it's an emperor's new clothes type of situation where all the men realize that their cards are no different from each other, but they're just like too scared of appearing, you know, less, I don't know, less distinguished than the others. So they just kind of assume that each card is better. <laughs> I mean, it, it is, it is another type of thing that makes you think. And that's why this movie is fantastic. And then, of course, there's the scene where he murders um, his colleague. And you have to think, uh, did he actually do it? But right now, in the scene itself, in the scene itself, he, he turns on this song, which is actually very catchy. And he starts preparing to murder him. He throws on a rain jacket and gets an axe. All the while, he's monologuing about how great the song is. So, in a sense, he is quite literally gushing about how he adores a song that at the time, this is historical context, at the time, the song was seen as very, very, you know, in with the times, a very trendy. So basically, Patrick Bateman is monologuing about how he likes songs that the typical human would like at the time, literally while getting ready to murder him. It's a, it's a perfect irony, honestly. And Patrick Bateman's character, I mean, truly, is an enigma. You can't deny that. Because uh, there's so many conflicting sentiments with his character that clash with each other. And they all, they all combine to create a very, very layered and dynamic character. Because, on one hand, for example, on one hand, Patrick Bateman himself feels very, very powerless in his society. I mean, there are scenes where he's literally confessing his murder and people don't believe him. So you can clearly see on one hand, he feels very, very unimportant in his own life. Like he has no power, but he also, he also desperately searches for that power in any way he can find it, which includes, you know, torturing helpless people on the streets, you know, homeless people who have nowhere better to go and, 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 and prostitutes who are just, unfortunately trying to make a living in whatever way they can he brings them to his apartment and he hurts them so on one hand you can very very easily sympathize with patrick bateman's character but you also have to see that he's a reprehensible bastard now me personally i believe that the prostitute violence and the homeless people violence i believe that was real the murder of his colleague i don't believe that was real those are my own, you know, personal interpretations, but, I mean, even if you chose to believe that none of it was real, you still have to face the reality that Patrick Bateman was fantasizing about hurting homeless people and hurting women and, you know, hurting his colleagues. So you have to understand that Patrick Bateman is a piece of shit, but it's very easy to empathize with him. Um, and then, of course, you have Patrick Bateman as a character becoming a sort of, I don't know what to call it, but a, a very, very glorified figure in a lot of people's vision. Now, this actually reflects a lot of bad feelings I have with people. People who watch a movie or watch a show and they latch onto a character and glorify them. They make them into something better than they truly are. Now... I mean, Jesus, this is all over the fucking place. I truly, truly it is. Walter White, 
Patrick Bateman, Rick Sanchez, for Christ's sakes. I mean, those are those are all just on the top of my head. There's way, way more, but yes. People tend to see something, see a character, and they just kind of latch onto them, for for lack of a better word, and they identify with the character, first of all, otherwise they wouldn't be glorifying them, and they take their bad flaws, and they, they either justify them or ignore them outright, both of which are, well, I mean, justifying a flaw means you're activating your thinking, so I can't really demonize it, but, I mean, when it comes to people who say that Patrick Bateman, okay, and this is this has become somewhat of a meme, but for a while it was unironic. People who say that Patrick Bateman was a sigma male, that is meaning an admirable figure of masculinity, that's completely, not only is it morally reprehensible, but it's also just a perversion of the original source material. Patrick Bateman is not a good guy there. I mean, it's that simple. And, you know, nothing really bothers me as much as people who tend, who look at a character in, in, in a show they watch and they, like, transform them into something they're not. And they don't see the full picture because, you know, they let their biases get in the way. And this extends to anything, truly. I mean, you have, you have people who used to, at least. I don't see them as much often. You have people who worship characters like Walter White because they see them as badass, but Walter White is not badass. I mean, yes, he has a moment here and there, but, I mean, ultimately, he's a man dying with cancer who has a, you know, a complete freakish need to control everything, and he's, you know, he's a douchebag. I mean, he's an asshole. He... Yeah, he abuses Jesse verbally all the time. He abuses his wife verbally, eventually. He's not a good guy, and he's he's not a badass. I mean, for Christ's sake. People, people take Walter White, and they put him on a pedestal by putting these videos on the internet where he's like... He's... he's they put videos on the internet of the show, Breaking Bad, and they set it to, like, really intense music. Like... The intended effect is to transform some of Walter White's more impressive scenes and to transform them into something that completely idolizes him and his personality. I mean, I, I really do hate that. When people transform a character into something that they're not. I mean... Because that means two things. Either you just didn't watch it close enough and you have no idea what you're talking about, or you're just... I don't even know what to call it. You're, you're taking a character and you're completely changing who they are, either to fit you so you can identify with them, or you're just... Like... I, I don't know what drives people to do it. I, I don't know, truly. Um, it's their own biases, obviously, but it's just, it's, it's ridiculous, truly. And, and that doesn't even, that doesn't even extend to people who idolize a character. It also extends to people who demonize a character because of something in the show that either they're not truly or they are, and you just happen to have a problem with it. That was badly worded. For example, 
somebody that I know uh, looked at the new Last of Us show and they, you know, for lack of a better word, they demonized it because one of the characters in that show is gay. They're, um, I'm talking about Ellie. Uh, she's a lesbian. And, you know, this person I know was, you know, had, <laughs> they had a problem with that. And they were like, uh, you know, this show, this show is terrible. This show is, you know, just stupid. And, you know, of course there'd be a lesbian in it. I'm thinking, well, why does that matter? <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking, I, I'm thinking because, of course, this person is religious. So, and, and they're not progressive religious. They're, you know, that type of person. So I'm just thinking, I mean, first of all, you've never seen it. Second of all, you're coming at it with these childish biases. And The Last of Us is good. I mean, I've played the game, and the game is awesome. Gameplay could be a little better, but it's awesome. And, you know, I've heard good things about the show, and, you know, looking at it, I have a sort of radar for these types of things, and I can kind of tell that it's, you know, the show is good too. So why do you come at the show with this, like, this, like, hammer because one of the characters is gay? Yeah, I just don't see, I don't see any fucking logic in that. It, it, it bothers me, truly, it does. And, um, you know, one of, my, one of my favorite movies, Clockwork Orange, I love that movie. The same person was like, ah, this, this movie is horrible, this movie sucks, it's, you know, it's stupid, it means nothing that, you know, you know why he says that? The only reason he says that is because the main character, Alexander Delarge, is a horrible person. I mean, and yes, yes, he's a horrible person. That doesn't extend to the work as a whole. You, you, you as an audience, you realize that you can consume a piece of fiction and like it without agreeing with the main character's personality, right? I mean... <laughs> you understand that, right? Because everyone should. And pe people, people, people will let their biases ruin everything. I mean, Jesus, like you can't, you can't like tear down a piece of work because one character doesn't fit with your like cookie cutter morality. I mean, yes, Alexander Delarge is a bad person. That's the point. That doesn't mean that the movie is not good. <laughs> I mean. It's the same thing, same thing for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, the main character is not a good guy. It doesn't mean the work is bad, you know? It's just, like, one of the characters in The Last of Us is gay. That doesn't mean the work is bad. It, 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 it baffles me, truly, that people can let their, like, childish worldview get in the way of truly great pieces of fiction. It just, it baffles me, truly. And why is that a problem anyways? I I don't understand how people get so upset over a gay character or a trans character at all. I don't I don't see the problem. And and it all comes down to this very simple question, how are they bothering you? I I mean, let me I I shouldn't have to elaborate on that, but let me. So if a character likes the same gender, how does that hurt you? How does that affect you in any sort of way? I, I just don't, I, I don't understand. I mean, clearly, clearly 
the answer is it doesn't coincide with my beliefs. But why do your beliefs forbid this? I mean, I mean, think about it. I mean, all I'm ask all I'm asking is a little critical thinking here. Do we ever really wonder? Do we do we ever really wonder why God cares about the gays? I mean, do we ever do we ever do we ever really wonder about that? Do we ever really wonder about that besides the fact that the Bible says so? And do we ever wonder about why the Bible says that? I I don't think we do really. I I think personally, here's my opinion. Here's my opinion. I think the Bible was written by you know, a bunch of people. And let's just assume for a minute that God is real and he's the one who told the people to write down the stuff in the book. Well, the Bible, without a doubt, has been translated millions of times and it's been, you know, adapted millions of times and there have been millions upon millions of opportunities throughout history for the messages in the Bible to be changed. And the problem with the Bible itself is that, you know, there are many, many different ways to interpret it. Now, some verses, of course, you know, are pretty, pretty damn straightforward. You can't really change their meaning all that much. But like, you know, these, these, these verses about like anti-gay stuff, they don't, I don't, I don't truly believe that those were there at first. And if they were, I don't think God told them to write that down. I think that was just their own. See, here's the thing. How can you look me in the eyes and tell me that at no point in history whatsoever did somebody, some moralizer who looked at, you know, the concept of a gay relationship and said, ew, how can you tell me that they didn't just sneak a verse in there about, you know, not lying with strange flesh? And what is strange flesh anyways? I mean, wouldn't a gay relationship be familiar flesh? I mean, think about it. I mean, use use your, like, brain here. Wouldn't strange flesh mean something more like a goat? Like, don't have sex with a goat? Don't, don't do that? Because I feel like that would be more in line for God to say. I mean, I think that makes more sense, right? I think that actually means strange flesh. I mean... I mean, a goat's flesh is strange, right? You wouldn't sleep with a goat. God certainly wouldn't want that because, you know, I'm pretty sure God wouldn't want you to fuck a goat. But, um, yeah, I, why do, why do we believe necessarily that strange flesh means the same gender? I don't understand that. Um, and, and, and... Some people, perhaps, some people would say it's a perversion of what God intended, that being Adam and Eve. And to that I say, what? What? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest here. Let's be well and truly honest here. Because I don't believe God is this petty. Alright? Adam and Eve are the ones who fucked up everything. <laughs> they're, the, they're the ones who took paradise and screwed it over, toppled the card house, alright? Um, now I don't, yeah, I, I love everyone equally. Adam and Eve though, were the ones who ruined everything and they were not a gay couple. So what's the problem here? I don't, I, I'm just not understanding. It doesn't make sense. Why exactly would God be so against 
a different type of couple than the ones who basically disobeyed him and ruined his, you know, his paradise. I just, it makes no sense to me. And why do we assume God cares so much about gay relationships anyways? I mean, why why do we assume that an omnipotent being capable of, you know, seeing or doing whatever, or, or manifesting anything, or doing whatever the hell he fucking wants to, why do we assume that he cares so much about if somebody likes the same gender? I, I, <laughs> again, I'm, I'm not seeing the thinking here. I'm seeing the following and the blind belief, but I'm not seeing the thinking here. And then there is some value to be had in thinking. I truly, I truly well and do believe that. I just don't understand. I mean, and, and people, people who use the Bible to win an argument are the worst to me. I mean, because what you're doing by, by your own belief system, what you're doing is you're using the word of God, perhaps the most loving and loving and powerful and all comforting being in the universe and you're using his word to win an argument seriously you're using you're using his quote unquote word to further your own agenda i mean just be honest and say you don't like gay people or you don't like trans people don't don't put shit in god's mouth and try and pass it off like he actually gives a shit he clearly doesn't i mean let's be truly honest with ourselves here he clearly doesn't care it's you I mean, just at least be honest. That's what I really want. At least be honest. Um, yeah, and I, I think, honestly, thinking about it now and saying it out loud, I don't think we talk enough about how, you know, people who are developing those feelings of attraction to the same gender, but they're under influence of the church. You know what I mean? Like, people who people who believe and people who are devout or or whatever or they want to be devout devout to please somebody but they have these developing feelings for someone of the same gender what are they going to do when the church you know puts their hand on their throat and says no that's wrong you're sinning against god and what you're doing is is wrong and it will land you in hell basically uh, true story. One time I was in CCD and we the, the subject landed on uh, gay relationships and you know good news. Good news, people. Good news. Uh, God actually doesn't hate gay people. He just hates their relationships. I mean, the prof- uh, whatever the teacher said, it's fine to be gay. It's fine. It's fine. Completely fine. You just can't be in a relationship. Like who's saying that? You? What are you gonna do about it? I mean. <laughs> Are you, are you actually forbidding people? Are you actually forbidding me to have a relationship? Like, I mean, it's, it's absurd. These people, what they, what they say, I, okay, let me, let me stop myself and say that I respect religion. You know, everybody has different beliefs and that is beautiful. That's what makes us individuals and that's what makes us human. And everybody, I believe, and, you know, hot take here, but everybody should live in, in, in harmony with their own different beliefs, and I respect that. But, it, it, here's the dreaded but. <laughs> These things that people say about gay relationships is so absurd to me. 
it's so not only is it hypocritical considering you know some of the things that go on in the church but it's just like it's childish it's a childish bias and it's you know never going to end anytime soon and that's the sadness of it it's never going to end anytime soon it's never going to get easier but whatever right still a good night still a good day still a good afternoon yes american psycho i well and fully recommend it